This episode of Friends of Flow is brought to you by NCLEX Mastery. If you're a nursing student and you're about to take your NCLEX, you need to go to the App Store right now and download NCLEX Mastery. Welcome back, folks. It's uh, Friends of Flow. I'm Tess Judge Ellis. I'm Andrew Witters. I'm Rebecca Porter. And we actually have a friend of Flow here with us today. It's Dr. Sandy Dak Hirsch. And so we have a really exciting time planned today where we're, our goal is to really talk about PhD education for nurses. And uh, Dr. Sandy Dakersh is the director of the PhD program at the University of Iowa College of Nursing. So um, do we have anything else to clear up? I mean, before we got on, we what talked a little bit doing? about lice. What have you? Oh, yeah. Because Dougie C. has lice in the family. Oh. And so, you know, so we've been talking about that universal problem, especially now that school's starting, right? And so how much time you spend at combing your kid's hair out. And... My dog had fleas. Is that the same? <laughs> I don't know. Your furry friend had fleas. Yeah. Andrew, any yeah. comments on lice or what's been going uh, on uh, in we, your we, life? We've not incurred lice events at my house yet. And my dog has had fleas. So, and, and school did start today. So those are uh, that covers the whole three-subject gamut right there. That's right. Yeah. I was walking in. Uh, when I was driving over here, I saw the little kidlets being walked to school by their parents. Do you remember when your kids started? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, definitely. And, and Sandy, when your kids started? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was it like? I can tell you, the, my oldest, the day that she, for her first day of school, I can tell you what she was wearing. I can tell you that she and I sat on the back porch and watched a flock of um, uh, yellow birds, what are, uh, goldfinch, and um, the, these flowers and sat and talked about what the birds were eating. And then I walked her to school and I cried. <laughs> <laughs> and did she ever have lice? Oh, God, she had lice. Um, I was telling you guys. So we were just, I was home alone with her and her brother and saw that she had lice. And I just freaked out, called my husband at work, said, you've got to come home. I can't do this by myself. And we had a shampoo and she has really thick, long hair. And we had to shampoo and comb her out like four or five times. And then her brother find all the stuffed animals, get all the bedding off and wash it and bag up everything. It was like a two day ordeal. And you just feel totally so dirty. I think you said the only other worst thing is when you get called and said you, your, your kids, kid bit somebody. Your kid bit somebody. Yeah. I yeah. Love that. yeah. Yeah. The, the two worst childhood faux pas. Right. So it is, we're talking about education and, um, Back for education and talking about the PhD. So, Sandy, talk a little bit about your background in nursing in and nursing. how you came then to this current position. Okay. So, um, so Tess, you know my story well. Um, I didn't start out in life to be a nurse. I actually was really interested in genetics and started as a biology major. Um, I had really no idea that nurses could go to college. Um, most of the nurses that I knew worked at a hospital and had gone to a hospital-based program. They're called diploma programs, and I don't know if you guys have talked about those, but they were three-year programs that were affiliated with hospitals. They trained the nurses who would work eventually at their hospital or their system of hospitals for the most part. Oh, my um, mom went to a diploma school. Great programs. They're really very good programs. Solid nurses came out of Totally the solid. And then, yeah. But, you know, then my mom decided to get her bachelor's degree. Yeah. Actually, yeah. She's, she's like, why did I go to college and not get a degree? Right. And then she also recognized that you're basically staffing the units on evenings and nights after a certain amount of time. Right, right. So it's very much based in the traditional way that nurses were educated, right? Right 
in the hospital that they worked. And so many of those nurses then weren't paid. They were apprenticed. And so finding a a job that actually paid you um, was typically outside of the hospital system because the hospital used the nurses that they were educating to care for the patients. Oh, probably what? Mid 1980s, the diploma programs were phased out. Is that yeah, because right? 1965 was the American nurses who who made the big like everybody all nurses should have a bachelor's degree. That was oh. in 1965, but I don't know what entity actually said that. I didn't realize it was early as 65. It was 1965 mm. that that mm. statement was made, and actually, the only state in the union is North Dakota that requires their nurses to have bachelor's I, degrees. Yeah, I saw that in the um, IOM report on the future of nursing at right. North Dakota. I chose a nursing school. Um, I wanted to go to university. I refused to go to a hospital program. And the two competitors for nursing in Calgary at that time was Foothills Hospital and the University of Calgary. And I was called down in jobs because you were one of those degree nurses. Oh. I didn't know anything. Yeah. 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 Right, we've gone through a lot of changes yeah. now. <laughs> but back to standing, back to standing. Yeah. Okay, so... Shiny um, objects, so, shiny right. objects turning. So I loved <laughs> genetics, loved genetics. So this is 1981 when I graduated from high school, and we didn't really have, you know, advanced placement science or honors courses in high school at the time, but anything genetics I would do extra work in. And um, um, I... I so I'm first generation college and I didn't really have, you know, a role model of, oh, find a college and what are you looking for in a college? But um, because I was such a nerdy science kid, I um, um, joined this like it was like a group of high school students and we took field trips around the state of Iowa where, you know, the different colleges and universities and the University of Iowa had, as we know, um, life sciences and biological sciences and healthcare discipline were really very well known for those things. So um, as a high school student, I experienced that and thought, okay, that's where I'll go to college. I came here as a biology major, like I said, interested in genetics and genetic counseling. So after my freshman year of college, I started looking into the genetic counseling program and they said, oh, you know, that's a master's degree through the College of Nursing. And I thought, what? You know, what does nursing and genetics? Was it through the College of Nursing? Yes, it was. Wow. When did it get taken away? Oh, that's a sad thing. (laughs) We'll get to that. Um, So so I thought, like I said, I didn't even know that nurses went could go to college, and I so quickly changed majors because I wanted to do this genetics thing. Um, so You changed to nursing I then. changed to nursing okay. my, after my sophomore year of college. Okay. Finished my nursing degree, got into pediatrics because that's where genetics was really happening at the time was pediatrics and OB. Um, three and a half years on the floor, and then uh, right into the genetics clinic to um, coordinate the care for children and families who have neuromuscular disorders or muscular dystrophy. And I was, for the, you know, it just struck me full face that, wow, genetics and nursing are just the perfect, perfect union of what I wanted to do because you were offering genetic counseling as a portion or a piece of the care that we were giving patients, but most of my time was spent um, care coordinating, um, facilitating uh, these children's education and their physical mobility issues in the school setting, um, 
helping families during the death with and dying process. With their lived experience. This their, was their lived experience yeah, of illness with a genetic background. Exactly. You know? It really was, and yeah. I didn't understand that when I was getting my degree. I thought it was just a means to an end, right? Um, from there, I went into a master's in the genetic program at the College of Nursing at the University of what Iowa. What was that, Sandy? That was 19, let's see... 97 was when I finished my master's degree um, from and 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 then I was working what I was doing I you know I what I was studying so it was just you know phenomenal I got involved in a in a research lab where we were studying the genetics and environmental factors of cleft lip and cleft lip and so palate. what kind of lab was it it was a molecular genetics lab so what was that like it was fascinating to be in um you know in an environment that was interdisciplinary and things were happening quickly we were like a uh internationally known research facility for the studying cleft lip and palate mm-hmm. so i'm really interested in this because i think um Nurses think that they have to get right into intensive care or critical care or ER, ER, mm-hmm. right. yeah. and, and forget that we have you have a science background as well as a humanities. And so, what did you do in the lab? Were you yeah? What, th- what did us? the nurse bring to the yeah, table? Yeah, wasn't yes. it? So, so these are these are big, large population-based studies, and we had a big study in the, the state of Iowa, in the Philippines, and in Denmark. And to do this kind of work, it's human molecular biology. You have to recruit human participants. And part Mm -hmm. of recruiting human participants is explaining the biology and risk factors for why does my baby have cleft cleft lip and palate? Why would I want to be part of this study? So you weren't just recruiting people into a study. You were offering genetic counseling services and care coordination services and, you know, thinking of the of the family more holistically. You're kidding. Than, You're not just an object for my research exactly, to my ends. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Good for you. Um, so when we created database and systems, we were creating systems that um, always had things that would... Um, facilitate communication with the family so as discoveries were made and as family because you know families are um lifelong interested in what happened and will this happen again and what's happening with the research and how will this research you know affect the next generation or my children and grandchildren so so because you're i'm a nurse I can think about those you things. You kept the patient at the I center the and from the that center. perspective. You were the exactly. advocate for the patient exactly. in the setting and what they needed. Exactly. And really help keep the other scientists focused on the person. Yes. That there's a reason we're doing this. It's yes. not just to get a grant. You're looking at right. the microscope, but it actually... There's something the data that we're looking at. And right. That data right. is indeed a, a right. person or a family or whatever it may be. So one of the so so importantly so this is an interdisciplinary lab. There's physicians, there's dentists, there's PhD prepared scientists that are bench molecular scientists, and you know for the most part samples appear on their bench and then they start to do whatever research they're going to do, um, genetic research that they're going to do. So you're absolutely right that they were fascinated with the stories of who the people were that had given the samples to the lab and. Um, more than once, I was able to take a young, you know, genetic scientist to the floor with me as I was talking to a family about the research we were doing and about recurrence cool. risks and the so, genetics. Mm-hmm. And it really then helped them understand the value of the sample they had in front of them. The links yeah. to the person. Yep. Yeah. And they must liked that, yep. too. That yeah, and the patient really cool. and the families really felt important. Yeah. And that 
what they were doing mattered for sure validated Validated. for sure humanize the science though is 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 really a great opportunity for i think i really think it's so important in clinical research um that people aren't an object of research and not a means to an end but are the end of themselves right Mm -hmm. and i think that your work as a nurse and bringing that is just so vitally important so when did you get your PhD and yeah, talk about that so a little I bit? So I finished so my PhD. No, no, but how did you how know? How did I know? When was it time to go and why did yeah. you do a PhD? Yeah, so, so, you know, so I loved the science. I thought the genetics and the nursing, the, the piece of the biological science and behavioral science and psychology and caring for patients, it all just blended so well. Um, while I was working in the lab, um, Jeff Murray, the physician that I worked with and who was the PI, the principal investigator on that project, more than once said, why don't you go back to school and get your PhD? And I thought, no, I've got a great job. Why would I want to do that? Um, And then I would meet um, some of the the professors that I had while I was in school, both undergraduate and graduate, because I did them all here at the University of Iowa. And Meridine, um, Meridine Moss. Meridine oh, Moss. Talk I about someone her, yeah. we need to have on the pod. No, yeah. Oh my God, she's she a hot was, shit. She I have to was, say that. She's yeah. the one that got me my application done. I have to tell you that oh, story, for, Meridine. Yeah. yeah. So, so I see her at the bus stop. Iconic, Even living now, legend. Actually, no. The, this was like before. This is this is what this is actually how I got you know went decided to make the decision to go back to school. And she said, so are you still working for that physician? Oh, <laughs> don't you? Ooh, you know? Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and Jeff is like, he's just oh world gosh. famous. The, you know, nice and, oh, nice. yeah, I'm still working for that physician. Well, how long are you going to do other people's research and not your own? <laughs> oh, okay. Just and put I, it to yeah. me, Meridine, yeah. right there, yeah. right now. Yeah. The so question. I didn't have an answer. Uh, for a, you know, I just wanted to crawl under a rock, and of course. and uh, said, "Okay, I'll have my application in the next round." <laughs> <laughs> and and so that's what I did. Oh, Meridine. And I must have, you know, I was probably in my forties at the time, but always involved in research. And I have to say that it was quite liberating to go back to school, um, be able to think about research. Not she's right, not doing someone else's research, but ask the questions that I wanted to ask and conduct the studies that I wanted to conduct. So That's how I felt about going doing a PhD as well, is that I had been doing research, and I wanted my name first. Yeah. I mean, it's an ego thing. But I also um, really hated the fact that people were lost and people's stories were lost. And, and when I did a PhD, it was to be able to ask the questions that I wanted to ask and, and and get trained and learn right. how to do that, and it was it was amazing. Yeah, and there are lots of ways to be involved in research. And I was telling Tess just the other day. I was talking to a, a student who's getting her DNP, and in the course of getting her DNP, she's looking at a project, and she keeps asking questions that are research questions, not project like questions. And so she started talking. She came to my office to talk about the PhD. And I said, you know, there are lots of ways that you can be involved in research. It's a team science. We need clinicians that, you know, really ground us in um, clinically based research questions and, you know, can inform the way that we ask the question and which questions we're asking. And if we're doing implementation science, you know, giving us clues as to how this might be implemented in your, you know, in the care environment. 
And I said, so you can be a lively part of a team and have your DMP and still involved in research. However, if you want to drive, you're going to have to get your PhD. And she goes, no, I don't want to be a passenger. I want to drive. (laughs) So so I said, then you should think about getting a PhD. So what are the barriers? What were your barriers to doing a PhD? Um, Oh, boy. You know, I think most of the barriers are ones that we put up ourselves. Um, yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, we talk ourselves, oh, it's not the right time. I I'm not kids. smart I'm enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know statistics. Um, um, yeah. yeah. They're all almost... The so mine was the GRE. Well, that was my barrier. And I think I spent three years trying to relearn math yeah. for the GRE. Cause I oh, my graduated, gosh, Rebecca, yeah. I graduated from high school... Um, I think God was invented then. Yeah. <laughs> I think God was around when I graduated from high school. So I hadn't done math. I hadn't done algebra or calculus, which I have to do for that stupid GRE thing. And I went to see Meridine, and, I, and she said, so why is it your application in here? And I said, oh, well, the GRE and the GRE, and I have to do math, and I can't do math, and I've been trying to study it, and it's not going to happen, and I'm obviously not smart enough for this, and, well, I don't know. And she said, oh, for God's sake, it's just a box to tick off. Go do it <laughs> next week. And yeah. Yeah. she said, we just want to know that you've Cut taken the it. And, and um, so there are parts of that GRE that, you know, the computer told me I wasn't doing well. Right. And but then the writing part I did really well at. But once I got over that, it was. Um, Do you still require the GRE? Sandy? No, we don't. And oh my god! Yeah. So just last year, <laughs> I have year, a Meridine story though. Yeah, just last year point. we we took that requirement out. How you come? know, why, um, why did I get? Why did you and I get? You know tortured? what? It's um, I know, right? And uh, so um, not fair. Um, the not G- fair. <laughs> you have to go through the I same pain made I went through. Every easier, every generation. Yeah, that's right. When I was a that's kid. right. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, you should I had have to walk uphill twice to one of our sacred. Cows. Uh-huh. Um, it's not a very good predictor of who's going to do well. In right. a, sure. in a, yeah. Yeah. For my master's degree in Boston, they had um, Simmons College had a, you could either do the GRE or you could get a, a B plus or an A on their gatekeeper course. Uh, so, yeah. Um, you know, it's a big deterrent, and um, and if you want a diverse student body as well, because we all know that the GRE is, is really kind of biased towards um, students who, who are academically privileged. Right. Um, so sure. um, it's a big deter for uh, us in diversity, and it just isn't a very good predictor of who's going to do well. When is the best time? You know, I did my PhD when I was old. Yeah. I was the oldest person. I could have been the parent, <laughs> I think, of, really, of some of my classmates yeah but I knew that I wanted to do it I had mm-hmm. I had to do it for me because of the questions I had yeah um and and so for me it was late yeah but what about you and what yeah. do you tell people now yeah. well define late for the audience I mean yeah. just just I mean what's your idea of late my idea of late is it depends what you want to do with your PhD if you want to go into academia you need to have, I think, seven or eight years after you complete your PhD to 
um, be in a postdoctoral fellowship and assistant professor. Level. If you're at a research one institution, a tier a one, research, you know. If and if that's what your goal is, mm-hmm. um, and and that takes a long time and a lot of hard, hard work, and you have to really look at um, how that how that balances in, but there are other opportunities to use your PhD yeah. way outside of academia and in entrepreneurial work, and, and it really depends who you are. How, yeah. Consultations. How do you counsel Con- students yeah. so about that, Sandy? Yeah. What do you, so, about so someone who may questions. be interested I, so, in... Yeah, I was in my, my 40s. I, okay. So if I have one regret, um, it's that I didn't do it soon enough, but uh, I do think that we're pressing... Um, young people to get into a doctorate, whether it's you know advanced degree, um, early, and there's a reason for that because of our faculty shortage and um, healthcare becoming more acute, and the need for primary care providers, and right. So we've really pushed that people make that decision earlier. Um, I think experience is a good thing. I think that it helps inform the kinds of questions that you're going to ask and the type of scientist that you want to be. Um, but I think. You know, my mid-40s was probably too late for the reasons that Rebecca's talking about. You know, you need to come sort of full circle when you get your Ph.D. So um, if you're going to go into academia or research, whether that's academic research or research at a, you know, a hospital-based program or with an institute or however you're going to do that research, it takes about five to eight years to really establish yourself as an investigator doing the preliminary studies or the base studies that you need to build your program of research. And then after that, you become very more senior and independent, and you can start to mentor. And a PhD degree is a more, not an entrepreneur, but a more apprenticeship type of degree. And we do a lot of teaching one-on-one and mentoring our students one-on-one by involving them in our research. And so... You know, to be able to do that, you have had to gotten sort of your feet under you, right, and confidence, and then to be able to not focus so much on yourself but on the students and others. And if you're in academia, you know, that full circle is to become a full professor and then to really think about the academy and um, mentoring and teaching students, nursing students, or whatever your discipline is from the very beginning, like an undergraduate degree all the way through graduate school. So it takes a while to be able to do those things. But there are other reasons to get your PhD, and you're, you're just absolutely right. So consultation, business, um, and, you know, maybe then it's not such an urgency to get your PhD in, you know, I your 20s and 30s. Right. I think um, you really need to have a reason why, because there are times during your doctoral work that you stop and think, why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, really, right. Who yeah, yeah, yeah. What was my calling? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What's my why, passion? Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? And I always thought when I died, I wanted to have on my um, tombstone um, PhD behind my name. Yeah. To me, that was important. But then I remembered a friend of mine, I was a physician that I worked with in Vancouver, who said, uh, got PhD, died anyway. So, <laughs> so, so nice. I think it's really important to have a, a good reason why you're doing it because it's a financial investment as well. 
And yeah. so how, how do you on, get gonna, funded? You know, we got to take a break now, Rebecca. Oh, we do? Yes, well, we can do. Can we talk about funding? And sure, how absolutely. You, how and some of the how-tos. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll take a little break yeah. right now and we'll be back because we have Dr. Sandy Deckersh, director of the University of Iowa College of Nursing PhD program. Here at NCLEX Mastery, we love nurses and especially nursing students, but we need your feedback about this podcast. If you have ideas on topics or you have questions you want us to answer, shoot us a message, leave a comment, go to our Facebook page and just tell us what you think because we want to help you in the most specific way that you need that help. Thank you so much. So we are back with Dr. Dak Hirsch talking about PhD education Specifically, when we broke, Rebecca had questions about financing and how expensive it is. Um, and it does cost time and money mm-hmm. and energy. So mm-hmm. the passion that needs to be there. And so how do you counsel people and what resources are available for PhD education? How long does it take typically? And those sorts of questions that are kind of real functional to this. So um, it's less expensive to get your PhD than your DNP. Is it really? Interesting, yeah. At I the know. University of Iowa College and of Nursing, universally, is it universal? It is. Because uh, clinical degrees are more expensive. It's more expensive to train clinicians um, because of the resources and technology and uh, 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 you know simulation. Um, your earning potential is higher for a DNP. So we'll, we'll be honest about that. That's true, you know, in, across the discipline when you do academic. Type well, of medicine, academic, academic medicine right. versus law, medicine. dentistry, right. any of those things, right? So the earning potential is higher. It's not that PhD prepared nurses make a you know a bad salary, but that's just that that's just sort of the economics of 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 educating people. So, um, how long does it take? It takes about. Four to five years, seven is sort of our what, what we'd like to say is the max. That's universally for PhD, not wow. just nursing PhDs. Well, our, our history PhDs take eight, can take up to eight to ten years because yeah. they're learning. They have to all learn. A friend of mine is a history professor, and um, she had to learn Latin and French. Yeah. To do medieval history. Sure, to go to primary sources, right? Right, mm-hmm. and go to primary sources, and, and the research was years long. So, okay. So I think for nursing, it maybe it is shorter. It, so, so, again, universally, we're trying to bring PhDs down. I mean, that's a long time to be in school for any discipline, and so... Is that a, a deterrent, though, frankly? I mean, seven years is a long uh, You know, for some, I think it might be, but... Um, um, so nursing is one of the one of the disciplines that seems to think shorter is better. Other disciplines don't necessarily have that uh, mentality. Now, now remember, a PhD. When you get a PhD in nursing, you're not only getting a you're, you're getting a PhD in your discipline of nursing, but I'm you're not measured or compared to just other nurses with a PhD. You're measured and compared to all people who have PhDs because a PhD is a universal. Terminal. terminal degree. So, for example, if I am a research scientist and I'm a nurse PhD and I'm going to the National Institute of Health to get a grant, I'm competing for that grant against other nurses who have their PhD, but other scientists who have PhDs as well. So we have to be able to measure up to all people who are doing the similar type of science. And to truncate the degree just for nurses means that we would be... You're crippling. We're crippling when we're... Right, right. But 
we're trying to get the PhD more manageable. Ten years is a long time. So at the University of Iowa, we typically say, you know, seven years is, is, is the goal, is the maximum for students. Our last cohort of students, um, the average time to degree was 5.2 years. Mm-hmm. Mine, was, mine was seven years. Yeah. Yeah, which is really, I think, phenomenal. And that has to do with how we're collecting data now, mm-hmm. too, and understanding that we are setting some people up for an entire program of research, so they may be doing a um, sort of a homegrown... Which is what I was doing. Right. It was entirely... You ask a nobody novel... Nobody this before. Exactly. Versus teaching you how to... The research process and using data that's available, right. and then, you know, you're re, you know applying your you research skills. that... You were supposed to be finding your own data and and not using secondary data. Yeah, that so was that's a really. And yeah. I look at that as an ethical issue. And when you're shortening, if you don't know what it is to gather the data f- to answer your own question, mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah, so that's a good point. And so so that's the apprentice piece of the PhD that you know to get your dissert secondary data is an excellent source of data. We have so much data that we're putting aside and not. That's almost unethical as well. You've collected this data. You've not used it to the, its maximum capability. And so you've got a young, bright Can PhD you talk about student. an example, too, at some point, Sandy, where secondary data, yeah. you know, what does that mean? Sure, sure. So, so being part of a team and learning those other aspects of collecting primary data and, you know, an uh, uh, ethical review board so that you have your, your science reviewed by an ethic, ethics board to say, yeah, go ahead, this is a good project you can... You, you can do this, um, is part of that team experience, but you don't necessarily have to have your research be that experience, but you expect that a student has that experience during their PhD program. Talk about secondary research then. What is that exactly? Secondary. Da- so think of all of the data that's collected in a hospital. So every time a nurse goes to the bed- sure, bedside sure. And, and collects yeah, temperature, blood pressure, um, writes notes about how a patient responded to a certain treatment. And all of that data is housed now in electronic medical record. And then you know behind that is a database. You can, that's data that you didn't collect for a primary reason. Healthcare is a primary reason, but not a primary reason in terms of research. Now I can ask a question and go to data that's already been collected and look for the answers in that data rather than collecting my Good. own and then data. I, I jump in and think, is it ethical to use data on people from people from whom you haven't asked permission to use that part of their being? I haven't donated my blood pressure reading for your research. Mm-hmm. So why are you using it? Why mm-hmm. are you why are you taking it? It's not yours, it's mine. Right. So now we're gonna get into a whole we can do that. We but we're gonna get shiny into objects. a whole, shiny <laughs> objects. A whole ethical discussion no, no, about back to personal finances. Yeah. yeah, I think <laughs> if I wanna cover financing and then I I also wanna delve into um, nursing as a science yeah. and as a discipline yeah. and why we need PhD and what is nursing science research and, and how is that furthered by, you know, why do we need pointy head academics in the <laughs> academy that study science of nursing and that tension between the care delivery that we do and training that? Um, does that make sense mm-hmm. to go there just mm-hmm. a little bit? That well, indulges my... Okay. Okay, we're back. So how do we finance PhD yeah, education? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we finance PhD education. The students are research assistants and have then tuition right. paid for and, and then have a stipend. 
and um, uh, nursing students, PhD students write training grants with their mentors, and they can get funding from the National Institute of Health. We have generous donors who um, have established scholarships for nurses to be able to get their PhD. Um, and being a teaching assistant is really valuable. Being a teaching institute is very valuable, or teaching assistant is very valuable. Um, at the University of Iowa College of Nursing, we don't have as many teaching assistant positions as we do research, but that has to do with organizational um, mandates, not because we don't value teaching assistants and that experience. Um, and then some nurses do work part-time while they're while they're I was going to say, you can probably work program. a little bit part-time, yeah, depending on what else is on your plate. I think it depends on what your job yeah. is. Yeah. I, when I was, there was no way I could have worked part-time yeah. when I was doing, did you work part-time? I did. I worked part-time. Oh, you're brilliant. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not that smart. So I think it's, we talked about this, The um, how do you think that the PhD prepared person and just the science, how do you think that advances nursing as a profession to have pointy heads doing nursing research? Because sometimes I think that nurses feel out of touch with what nursing research is doing and what the academics or academy does for nursing as a science. For sure. For sure. Especially when you have people, I mean, I can tell you many examples at the college of nursing where, particularly Janet Speck and Meridine's nursing research was working with nursing aides in nursing homes to do better care for, and that to me is really connecting the so, dots. But I'd like Sandy to talk. Yeah, and see. and then my example was when I was a nurse practitioner, um, I called over to the College of Nursing um, to a professor who would be an expert in a, in a problem my patient was having, and I was told that, there was no connection. And and I said, but that's what their research is on, and surely they're an expert in this. No, we don't come over there. <laughs> and I think that that's a real, mm-hmm. a real problem. Well, now it's like we've gotten ourselves out of the hospital, right, as we've moved, you know, and said nursing education needs to be in a brick and mortar, not being, um, yeah, not being apprenticed in the in the diploma model that we deserve to have degrees and we move towards right. baccalaureate degrees, but now we want to get back into the hospital, right? Or into the community and community. say we, in, we want to be there. So, and we haven't been there as much as we needed to. Yeah. So, so to talk about um, PhD education, you really have to think about um, the historical context of the discipline and how we grew up. And so I, started the podcast with them talking about um, hospital-based nursing programs. And over time, you know, nursing programs moved into universities and you could get your BSN or college degree. Um, And so doing so then meant that the people who were teaching you were part of a greater college university structure. And if you were an English major or... um, political science major, you were learning from PhD-prepared professors. But nurses weren't PhD-prepared. They were trained as nurses and then moved into the university settings, college settings, and started teaching. Eventually, I think the discipline then grew into being parallel to other disciplines, their professors also having PhDs. So the very first PhDs were really in education. So how do you teach nurses to be nurses? Not how do you, not what's the science of our discipline. And so we've always had a lot of tension 
between the art and science of nursing and is science is nursing a science our own identity crisis and then others telling us that we are or are not a science-based discipline today we believe that we are a science-based discipline and our sciences are biologically and behaviorally based and a phd um, really looks at what it is we do as nurses how patients respond to the things that we do are they evidence-based and um, how do we become better practitioners and have it based in science, again, behavioral and biological sciences? Rather than having other people tell us what to do, we want to be in charge of our own discipline. And to You're do darn that, right we do. Right. You're right. darn to do that. But yes. I think that there's also a way to combine the art and the science, and that's what I was trying so, to do. So here are four ways so of knowing, and, that, and, that, right? that's, and that's how do we... So, so I'm envisioning someone else uh, on this podcast, say a bedside RN or an LPN nurse that, that's listening to this, that, that this is heady stuff we're talking about. So, 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 so say if, if that person was here, uh, let, let me just play a devil's advocate I'd for a moment for mm-hmm. and, and say, what if I was to ask the question, well, what does this nursing theory have to do with me giving my medications to my patient or, or making sure that they're, they're clean, like their activities, or or, yeah, their activities of daily living is the most important thing that is on my, uh, my, my priorities list for this patient today. So, Tell talk, me, yeah. so, so, it, so, so that's, so that I'm, I'm, I'm just speaking as, as an advocate for, for the bedside nurse, because yeah. uh, th- th- these are ideas that, how do that I, I know? Or, 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 or nurse practitioner. So getting to the question of, how do I know what I know, and why am I doing what I'm doing? Sure. And oh, how do you get that? So, so I, Andrew, I think you've so so that was what the discipline. That's what got the discipline. I think in a little bit of a, a quandary when we first started off as PhD, because we were very much talking about theory, grand big theories that we have a really hard time bringing to the bedside. Sure. Yeah. So nurse scientists don't really don't exist in that big grand. Well. Somebody's going to come into this. It's just wrong. You know, the big grand theory is a grand idea about how and what we do. It doesn't really get at the clinical problems. It's not granular. It's right. So the clinical problems are we address with um, mid-level theory and theorizing. Do I need to use heparin every time I I flush a, flush a, a, lock. a lock, yeah, lock, or I want to disconnect a patient from the IV fluids, but I want to but I want to keep that IV in because the heparin really burns and I've got to change that IV all the time. And so, you know, that question, for example, came from bedside nurses and it's really expensive to use heparin over and over again. Might we just flush it with saline? So how do you know that heparin's better than saline? You have to apply a research process to be able to study that, collect data and say, this is better than what you did. You can now not do a practice that wasn't based in research or evidence-based. It's just what we always did, right? And I have now evidence that was nursing research that said, you know what, saline is just as good as heparin. And so now we can use, we've changed our practice to using saline instead of heparin. Stellar, stellar, stellar example, right? Yeah, bedside nurse. And yeah, that was somebody example. saying, why are we doing this? And listening to the patient and, yeah. and them saying so this. How, Sandy, can you talk about why that is a PhD question and not a DNP question? Ah, uh, because, again, if you just, it's, it has to do with the way that you, again, collect the data and establish the evidence. So 
you know, I observed it and of one, it worked and of one. Does that mean it's going to work for everybody? We don't know. So you want to do a more systematic trial where you have a variety of patients and a variety of conditions in which you're um, um, using that sort of new intervention. A lot of our interventions are based on I did it, it worked, and so I trained somebody else, they did it, that it worked, but we can't really apply it to a population or to the general population and say, this is what we should teach in our so, nursing programs. So going through a scientific process of it? Going through a scientific process, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so these are clinical and basic science researchers that train nurses how to integrate biology and behavior in order to influence our practice. So our questions should be clinically based or system based. So clinically based in patient problems or system based in how do nurses deliver care. Sure. Um, so and one of the things that, that I think that we have in, in common across the whole scope of nursing practice from the PhD to the DMP to the diploma level is you mentioned you touched on it earlier was implementation. That's just one aspect of the, the nursing process, all right? Um, and I have, I have a sort of a two-part uh, inquiry uh, for you. I'd love to have your, your, your thoughts on this. Um, I have the privilege of working with uh, a wide array of, of trained nurses. From There are some diploma-level nurses that are still, sure. still sure. out there. Of course, um, of course. I, I work with a lot of LPNs that are in um, geriatric facilities as well as RNs. Um, I, I do have DMP colleagues that are opening up the. We're pushing the envelope of the uh, of the private practice world, which which I think is awesome. It's it's a lot different than the big academic centers like the University of Iowa. I mean, I mean, um, not necessarily for the for the for the uh, the best or or, or or the worst, but it's just different in, in, a, in a very good way. Um, but one one of the the questions I have for you is uh, how do how do we standardize? nursing education, considering we have uh, such a, a wide array of, of nurses and different types of, of, of uh, education, but yet we all use this, this nursing process. We all come from a, a general knowledge background, um, but uh, we alluded to earlier, uh, was it one of the, the, uh, the Dakota states? Um, the, rec- um, the standard is they have to have a four-year degree. Uh, where, where, where do you stand on this? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's a loaded question, but it's it's something that uh, yeah. I, I it comes up in my practice every so often. Well, sure, in, because in, you in, can in have multiple way. different letters behind your name. So when is a, a nurse is a nurse, right? Yeah. And so when can we standardize baccalaureate education as entry? Well, you're never going to let go of the ADN. I'll tell you that right now. How come? Of course. How come? Gosh. Well, I mean, we can actually go into this another time. Um, but I would say cost, but I would also say they produce an excellent product that stays in the community where they're from and that community colleges ha- are invested in keeping um, nursing there because it helps with all the other dis- all the other educational components that they need, biology so and sciences an and all that and stuff. And, 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 and does it matter? And how does that matter? And that <laughs> may be a topic for another right. podcast, actually. Idea. And it's a... Because um, I have friends who are... My age, yeah. Who are diploma nurses, and why should they, at age X, decide to go back and do return to school, to do what they've been doing 
for the last 30 years. And well, a, who's driving is the, who's wagging the right, tail? Do you know right, what I'm saying? Exactly. Is the, so yeah. that's the, that, that is a valid question. I, I, I'm not trying to be controversial when I, when I say oh, this, I but, think we should but, be but I, but I think that this is, I think why this does is, nursing do it to, why do we do it to ourselves? We, we, yeah. we, we mm-hmm. have done a lot to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so I, I'm interested to hear Sandy's opinion yeah. just yeah. on, yeah. Uh, on, on this yeah. subject. I mean, because you, you've been in academia, you've been in research, mm-hmm. you have a, a great science background, which I think, frankly, mm-hmm. a lot of nurses, including myself, can identify with. And, 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 and I, 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 I look at the 30,000-foot view of nursing, I'm like, what the heck? Why, 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 have, why have we done this to ourselves? Right. You know? I, I know. You know, we're, we're just so, I mean, I, I, you know, the basic nursing degree, your BSN, is just, to me, one of the just the most one of the most awesome degrees out For there sure. because you do have this blend of science, sociology, humanities and you bring it together all together to be able to understand people and their illness and, you know, life trajectories as a holistic whole package, not just the biology piece of them, not just the right and it's a plus well point. Then plus you get out them, you get out with the RN, the most per- respected exactly, and trusted profession. Exactly. I mean in a four year degree, hello. Exactly, and then you you could go get anything. anything. You You could be an attorney. You could go to medical school. Yeah, no, 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 no. So, so I I will say that I am a big proponent of of entry into practice being a BSN, a huge proponent of that. And um, why why do you think? Because I think that that experience that uh, of of a of a of a. Broad-based liberal arts Broad based, degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, liberal mm-hmm. arts degree is, is an important degree because it's not just teaching you how to be a nurse. It's teaching you how to be a responsible citizen. Yeah. And, and yeah, but also problem-solving. And so at Institute some point, though... Medicine, though, wait a minute, yeah, yeah. that the evidence is there that nurses with a bachelor's degree, patients who are cared for, have... For every, what was the percentage increase that that guy quoted in the IOM on the future oh, of yeah, nursing? I don't remember. Um, that, that there is actual evidence that the more education a nurse has, the lower the probability of a bad outcome for their patients. Mm-hmm. So it improves the quality of care. It improves the safety of patient care. And while it's more expensive to hire bachelors of a BSN in the short term, in the long term... Hospitalist organizations are actually rec- um, recovering costs because of that's an interesting the, statistic. Oh, interesting. That's really interesting. That's yeah, look at the Institute that of was Medicine the edu- Education Appendix One <laughs> Aiken Aiken. Paragraph the one that four, Aiken. Yeah, page yeah, 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 of the IOM, yeah. which you can get yeah. online. So the, the there was a there was a secondary inquiry I had. We we, we had mentioned. Uh, BSN uh, uh, baccalaureate prepared nurses. Um, so, so my question for you, Sandy, is at, at the bedside, and we, we've talked about this in previous podcasts uh, a, a little bit. Is there there is an exodus of of nurses leaving the bedside, and, and I and I, I see that in in my practice on, on a daily basis. Uh, uh, nurses who are they, they don't feel satisfied, and part of it is I, I don't think they feel appreciated. Yeah. Um, I would um, argue it's moral distress and burnout and compassion fatigue. Okay, that that, that that's another very leadership good uh, uh, moral leadership your, moral leadership. Your, your point is, is well noted, uh, and so I, I think that's I think that's a, I think I do think that's a great point. And so uh, the research shows so <laughs> spoken like a true PhD. <laughs> what what do you think can be done at, at 
at the bedside level to, to prevent an exodus of, uh, of nurses because that, that is where the, the, the shortage is, um, that that's where the needs are, and, and, and we need good people there to, to take care of, of, uh, of people in the community. Well, what can be done? That's a big question. Yeah, yeah it, is. it is. And, you know, um, this, is, this has been an issue forever. I mean, when I, got, when I was getting my BSN, I remember, you know, we took a history class on nursing at the very end of the nursing program, and they were talking about already, what are you going to do next? And it was a master's and you're a nurse practitioner, PhD. You know, the assumption was that if you got your BSN that you would go, you would go on. And you kind of sat in the corner if you really wanted to stay at the bedside because you didn't want people to know that right. you didn't aspire to do more, right? It's, and and, and that, that is almost... Uh, it's, it's disappointing it is that, that, very we, that disappointing. we have put that pressure on ourselves and on, and on fellow nursing colleagues. It is. I, it I, is. I, and I, I, I personally don't think it's right. And, and in fact, if I can just add to that for a moment, like one of the things that I've, I, I, I do when I make my rounds with, with all my patients, I, I bring the nurse in right away. I, I, before I even see the patient, what are your concerns? And then after I see the patient, hey, this is, this, these are my ideas. What do you think? And I, I make them a part of, of my care process. I make it a part of my care plan. I make sure that I have their their investment too, because I, I care about what they know and how they're seeing the patient. Absolutely. Because after I, all, they are there absolutely at, at bedside far far more than I am. We need to also remember that, uh, or think about the fact that as human beings, we are restless. We want more, mm-hmm. and there are other people who are quite content. And are staying where they need to be. But what we need to do in nursing is give people permission and reinforce. And power. And power. That when you are at the bedside, this is an extraordinarily important job. And that you are no less for staying at the bedside than for going to graduate school. And I think that's what you're saying. And showing showing some appreciation, I I think, can add to the the satisfaction of the bedside nurse. But I think we also need to... And I have have no data to prove that, but that that has indeed been my experience. Go ahead, Sandy. No, I think, think, you know, if everyone would do that, it would do a world of good, right, that nurses, bedside nurses, felt that they were part of the entire team. And I think we make big strides in that and then backwards, big strides and then backwards. But, you know... But we're caught in this sort of environment where the faculty nur- nursing shortage is so great that people have put a lot of emphasis on making a decision earlier to get an advanced degree, whether that be a DMP or, or uh, a PhD, so that you can come back and teach in all sizes of colleges and programs, schools of nursing. Um, so that's created some tension because you want to identify who those who those young people are who you feel would be successive, successful in an advanced degree and get them thinking about it earlier so that they have time to develop as a, an advanced practice nurse or a PhD-prepared nurse. But in doing so, we've not listened necessarily to the nurses at the bedside and people saying that I want to wait or, you know, and then I think making people feel bad that they want to take some time and do this and do it for a while. Um, there's a new report that the American Association of Colleges and Nursing has put out, and it's the Advanced Healthcare Transformation. It's called the Manette Report, and it really focuses on clinical partnerships, um, nurse researchers, and advanced practice nurses partnering with um, academic health centers, but more importantly, um, 
focusing with health centers, whether they be hospitals or community-based programs, so that you're partner, partnering with bedside, boots on the ground, first-line nurses to identify clinical problems, clinical, clinically-based problems. What are the problems that are important to nursing to solve? And including your practice partners, bedside nurses, in that research team, in that investigatory team, in that project that an advanced practice nurse, a DMP-prepared nurse, is doing, because they're, they're the practice that you're going to hopefully affect, is mm-hmm. that delivery of care. So not removing it like it's something that's done in an ivory tower, but it's something that's done in collaboration with people where they're practicing, regardless of where they're practicing. So we need to get better at doing that, and the Menet report really focuses on it's those nice. partnerships. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's really a, you know, important. I think that I'm going to swing into the DMP for just a few minutes. That, I think, is one of the hardest things for students going back forward for their doctoral in nursing practice, doctorate in nursing practice, and that's the idea of project manager instead of um, doer. And that's probably one of the hugest things I have to talk to the students about, all of us in the DMP program, is no, 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 no. It's not your project to actually do the teaching that you identify. It's to get the resources of the people at the clinic that you're doing and implement this good idea that's evidence-based that focuses on a population. And that's, I think that's, it's this mindset of nursing that we have to do all of it, you know? And so when you move into uh, looking at populations, it's more about um, almost being the nurse for the population instead that, am I making sense with this? I don't know. Well, we've, I think for too long separated that, you know, research is done someplace other than right. where care is delivered. And it's not. It, 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 we, we, we have a lot of knowledge, again, that we've, you know, databased or cataloged or wrote about. And now it's time to implement those things. We have to see if they work. Well, they're seeing if they work in a more laboratory, sterile environment. But to see that they work in where they actually need to work, like at the point of care, is a different type of science, and that involves the people who are actually delivering the care, not a surrogate who does it just for the study, but for the people who do it on a daily basis. To matter. That's effectiveness. Efficacy is, does this thing work in a sterile environment? Effectiveness is, does this whatever I want to do work in real time, real point of care, because there's lots of things that affect the way that you care for there's patients. There's so many variables that you so have. So many. Mm-hmm. And even in a system, there are. And so that involves the care practitioner, whether that's a bedside nurse or advanced practice nurse, in the study and the research that you're doing. And so you've got to be able to um, develop more dynamic teams of people who are doing right. research. It really is a larger yes. team. Yes. Um, and that's where I see the marriage between a PhD and a DNP. Or bedside nurse. And a bedside nurse. Bedside, right. Yep. Right. Or public health nurse or right. school nurse community. or... Right. Yeah. What I love is that the discussion is like we're, you can build a team based on patient outcomes and a problem that you've identified that you have someone you want to call and talk to about it and say, hey, is there someone who will listen to me talk about that? And then you might call like the program, or somebody who's got a DMP that's in academics that you know, or you call someone in PhD and they say, you know what, you've got questions, why aren't you thinking about the next degree? And then, so I love that, and we love nursing, because it's what you said, Sandy, was this whole, like, why wouldn't you want to get a bachelor's degree in the lived experience of people with health that's well-rounded? 
you know, and if that's your bent, that's your bent. So let me just put a plug in about, you know, PhD prepared nurses. We're not going to have that until we start being excited about our nursing science in the, wherever you're learning how to be a nurse, BSN, ADN, wherever it is. That's exciting things, and our students should, they, they're afraid of research or think that somebody else does research, that they're not part of this process. But again, these clinically driven questions come from the people who are practicing at the bedside or advanced practice or wherever. And to understand and embrace that as a nurse in your first degree is the first step into thinking, I could do this or I want to do this. But instead of making the, the scary thing that it's a hard grade and I'm not going to ever use this, we should be celebrating the fact that we do these things because neuroscientists discovered that this is what we should do or this is how we should approach this. And we should all embrace and be excited about that research that's going on. Whether we do it or not, we should be living it when those findings are published. And you do that by embracing the research process, even in your undergraduate. Because it matters to people. It matters to, to people. patients. It does. And to nurses who are taking care of patients, like your research, Rebecca, on moral distress. Mm-hmm. So it, because it matters. And it matters. That's our profession. Yeah. We, and it's just so wide open. And the opportunity is just whatever you choose to make it. Yeah. Can I ask Sandy, can people contact you if they want to talk about of course. when should I do a PhD, where do I apply, which, like, which school do I apply to, yes. so how do they get hold well, of we can, we, we can we put can it? Link, we yeah. can link it to our yeah. podcast when yeah. it comes up. Yeah. And so, Dan Kirsch, will, will you come back again oh, and be another yeah. guest? You're, yeah. you're officially a friend of the pod. Yeah, thanks, Sandy. <laughs> so a cool. friend of Flow Pod. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you. All right, so we always end with our um, words sig- of wisdom, signature statements. Um, keep your eye on the patient. Innovate, agitate, educate. Be kind, be generous, and keep your stick on the ice, Rebecca. Oh, yeah. Keep your stick on the ice. <laughs> I think I said my last one right about you know embracing research in the undergraduate. Didn't I say? Wasn't there a pearl you of did. wisdom in there? Yeah, you're awesome. Okay. Sounds good. See you guys. Friends of Flow is brought to you by NCLEX Mastery. Go to the App Store right now, download NCLEX Mastery. And before you leave, if you could just share this with your nursing friends, tell them about us, leave us feedback, go to our Facebook page, tell us what you liked, tell us what you didn't love so much, be nice. But thank you so much. We really appreciate you.